Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. All right, do company values really matter? Well, they do if you're looking to scale a business. In order to scale, you need the strongest high-performing people. But the strongest people don't need you or your company. What high performers need is to understand how your company brings value to their world, personally and professionally. And how we bring value is through value alignment. It is the catalyst for performance and retention. Now, when a person is misaligned with the company values, they underperform and or leave. As a startup company, every person who is misaligned is a setback of at least three to six months of productivity. So before you hire another person, incorporate your values into the interview to encourage the strongest people to join your company. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win-win the strongest people. We do so by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Ken Babcock. Now, Ken is the co-founder and CEO of Tango which allows users to create beautiful step-by-step tutorials, any digital process without the performance art of video recordings. Ken, along with his co-founders, Brian Schultz and Dan Giovaccini, dropped out of Harvard Business School during the pandemic to start the company. Now, since then, they have grown the company to over 150,000 users and 25 full-time members. Now, prior to Harvard Business School, Ken spent most of his career in the Bay Area at Uber, where he helped scale launch operations through playbooks and best practices, which is what makes Ken the perfect expert for today's topic. Ken, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure to have you. So Uber, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's start there. That's always a fun story. You know, it, it, was, uh, it was a lot of different phases. So I was there for you know, four and a half years uh, from 2014 to 2018. So kind of saw the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, but, you know, at every point, it was just a lot of learnings, um, you know, what to do to scale a business and then um, what not to do to let it, you know, kind of fall out of your grasp. Um, you know, there were there were weeks where we just felt like we were, um, you know, sort of taking over the world. I mean, every week was a new record week. And then um, you know, it was 2017 when everything around delete Uber, a lot of bad press, a lot of bad warranted press. And, you know, we had to figure out how to how to grow up. I'm sure you learned a lot during that time frame, which leads us to our discussion today. Right. So today we're going to discuss why building your interview around values is so important. And then we're going to talk about how to build your interview to gain evidence of value alignment before you make a hire. Sound like a plan? Sounds great. All right. Awesome. So let's talk about some of the challenges that you've experienced or that, you know, you feel some companies or you even are facing today, especially with hiring and the interview process. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's, you know, still even with, you know, sort of the, the talks of either a recession or a market downturn, the market for talent is still super, super competitive. And so, um, you know, obviously you want to you want to get people in the door, but um the, the almost the perceived cost of making the wrong hire, the one that doesn't, you know, isn't aligned with your organization is a lot higher. And so, you know, maybe the overarching theme before we get into the discussion is, is one thing that I, I heard recently that I really liked was that, you know, people do care about being part of a mission driven organization. 
that matters. What are you trying to solve? But even more important than that, and you, when you really dig in with people, they want to be part of an organization that aligns with their personal values. You know, they want right. to do things that, um, you know, match what they believe in and what they want to stand for. And so with that, it's, it's sort of on companies to figure out, you know, how, how do we communicate those values so people can understand, oh, hey, am I a fit? And then how do we evaluate for those on our end such that we know that that, that fit is there? And so that's that's why we've woven values into into our hiring process it's going to become more and more critical you know making a bad hire is not going to be as shrug offable right coming up especially if the purse screens get tight yeah bringing values into the interview process super important i couldn't agree with you more and you and i are singing from the same pedestal on that one um why have you found that this has been important to your company well for us so you know you added some context there you know we're we're 25 people um, today, but you know, only a year ago we were seven, eight people, and so you know, when you talk about tripling the size of the team and the impact that every hire has on the next set of hires, um, you know, it just it just made it so critical for us to make sure that you know we were evaluating in a way that was consistent. We were making sure that um, you know everyone across the team had the had the right education around how to evaluate people based on values such that they knew when they saw, you know, Hey, here's someone who's really competent, but here's also someone who's going to going to be a culture add to the team. There's going to be someone who's going to live out these values and, and, you know, basically bring more people into the company. So some of our investors always stress, you know, your, your most important hires are, are your first 10. Um, I'd almost extend that to say like you know, your first 15, first 20, I would too. I, I think your first 20, like one bad hire in that first 20 can kill a company. Yeah. Cause, cause that, you know, that one person is probably going to be part of your interview processes is probably going to be, you know, working cross function. I mean, in a startup, everyone's wearing a bunch of different hats. And so, uh, you know, even, even sort of one bad apple can have this, um, you know, devastating effect on the rest of the team. And so that's why it's been so critical to us. I mean, we're still, still view ourselves as an early stage company, but, you know, building that foundation early of, you know, weaving those values into your process, making sure you're evaluating people is so important. One of the biggest mistakes that I've seen is that we focus in on skills and we need somebody to do the job. And then we assume because of their skills, they can actually do the job and we completely ignore whether or not they have value alignment, right? Yep. I think that's where a lot of companies get themselves into trouble. And then then you've got like all these sleepless nights as a as a founder trying to figure out like, how do I fix this problem, right? right? And it can, it's totally avoidable. Yeah, and I think to your point around like, you know, there's there's two elements of of interviewing at this stage. It's it's really, you know, this competency piece, can you do the job and, and culture and, and how do you align with the values? And so for us, we move that competency piece pretty early in the process. It's usually after the first two screens, then we do sort of a functional exercise that determines, you know, can this person do the job? But then, you know, our final round, which can be three, four, five interviews, that's all focused on on our values. I love how you're weighting that because that is the most critical element, right? As to whether or not somebody's gonna be successful in your organization. The truth is, is that, you know, people who are interviewing want the job. They wanna be the ones making the decision. And a lot of times, 
they aren't entirely honest with themselves or they haven't dug in deep enough with themselves to understand whether or not this is the organization that that I'm looking for. Again, yeah. you know, we start to focus in on the offer, what you're going to pay me and that sort of thing. That's all a byproduct of whether or not somebody is in alignment with the company. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, you know, I think what's a little bit different about hiring for a startup is it truly is a mutual selection process. You know, that candidate is taking a bet on you as much as you're taking a bet on them. And so we've always emphasized being very public about our culture and our values. You know, we publish them, um, try to give people as many resources and data points as, as, as they can grasp that um, will help them determine if it's a good fit for them. And so, you know, throughout hiring, yes, we're evaluating, but we're also we're also selling you know, constantly. And that's something that we, that we talk about to the team. It's funny. I think that when you do an interview right, they'll lean in or they'll bow out. And what ends up happening is that you don't really have to do a lot of selling with somebody who already sees the value in what you offer. It does make it an easier transition for them to join you. That's kind of like what we're hoping for. I mean, you know, we don't, we, we don't want there to be a ton of doubt by the time it reaches the offer stage. Um, you know, and then the other piece too, which is true for any small company is, you also want people hitting the ground running. Part of that is, yeah, do I understand the systems, tools, and what I need to do? But, you know, do I also understand how this company operates and what they value? All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsor. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources and your link to healing career wounds. Let that be your secret weapon to landing the strongest people. Our guest today is Ken Babcock. He's the co-founder and CEO of Tango. And we're talking a little bit about plugging your values into your company. And now super excited about this part, Ken, because like you're going to share with us how you have done this. I can talk about it all day long, but the truth is it's more powerful coming from a peer or somebody who's doing it and executing it really well and crushing it because of it. Let's kind of break down your framework for how you have built your values into the interview process. Yeah, so we have um, we have six values. Uh, we actually started out with eight, and then um, you know I think quickly what we realized was that um, there was some overlap. We needed to consolidate some. You know, I think the other thing about values is you want them to be memorable, but um, you know, not so creative that your team can't recite them and they can't know exactly what they mean. You, know, you want them to know exactly what they mean. So for us, you know, we have six. Like I said. Um, it's take action, which is really, you know, some people might call that the bias to action, you know, moving forward with decisions, aim high, which is about setting lofty goals, embrace diversity, which is about seeking additional perspectives, um, you know, bringing your true self to work each day, leave it better, which is about taking ownership, regardless of whether it's inside your role or outside your role, customer love, which is listening to the customer, building for the customer and team first. So team first, put the team ahead of yourself. Um, I think that one's pretty straightforward. And so those are the six that we weave throughout our process. Um, now, here's what I like about these, by the way. You put language around what they mean, right? So I've seen so many companies where they just put accountability, but there's no, like, what does accountability mean? It's different for every company, right? So for take action, you put avoid indecision and move past points of uncertainty, value speed. That gives somebody a benchmark by how they work. And it gives them a really strong snapshot of how you guys operate as a company. 
Yeah. And I think being, being succinct on those is so important too, because what you, what you essentially want to do with your values, your values are really like how you operate inside your company. And so what I want to be able to do with those is give those six values to any new employee and say, Hey, here are the frameworks how, for how you work. And so if you're at a point of indecision, what do you do? You know, do you, do you move past it? You move quickly. That's what take action is about. You know, for some of these other ones, like leave it better. If you see an issue, if you see something that's out of date, if you see an opportunity, even though it's not like your domain of expertise, leave it better, like chime in, like offer your support. It gives people a framework by how you make decisions and then how you interact. I feel like this is so important because otherwise it's just, you're gonna bring in a bunch of people and not give them like a syllabus on how, how things happen or how you operate. And that's what happens with too many companies. It's kind of like, well, let's just focus in on the work. And then you've got all these conflicting operational ways of doing things that create a chaotic environment. Totally. In, you know, in, let's, let's take like maybe the, the counter example of take action, right? If that's, if that's not a value or if that's not clearly stated, you might be ending meetings being like, ah, oh, well, we've got this group in this camp, this group in this camp. Let's make it, you know, let's schedule another meeting such that we can like really figure out the direction we want to go. And it's like, no, actually with that value, we got to, we got to reach a decision by the end of this meeting. And like, if you're in opposition, it's sort of like a disagree and commit type of scenario. And so I totally agree with you. It's, it's a framework for how to operate. Do you have actual measurables behind that? What are those measurables that actually are built into this that allow somebody to evaluate whether or not somebody aligns with it or not? So for, for our interview process, it's fairly standard across roles in terms of sequencing. Got it. Um, you know, we usually do two phone screens before we reach that technical screen, which is that, you know, functional exercise. I'll just focus kind of on the two phone screens. So, you know, when we talked, training was a big component of this. So that was kind of the, the second thing. So you've actually got your values. You have language around it. How do you train your people to be number one on board with it? I mean, you're doing it on the interview process, so they're understanding it. But, but how are you getting them up to speed with actually being able to conduct an interview? Like, what, what are you doing from a training perspective? Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, for us, like, we make our recruiting process extremely clear. So, you know, that's, that's really like, okay, let's lay out the process. Let's lay out where the values lie, uh, which is where I was getting ahead of myself. What types of questions we ask? What's our rubric? Um, but then the other piece around training is really like, how do you conduct an interview? So that's where we involve shadowing. Um, you know, people who haven't done interviews before will shadow someone who's a little bit more experienced. And then we'll sort of flip that and do some reverse shadowing. And so the important thing there is not just, okay, what questions do I ask? You're not supposed to be kind of a robot in that, in that interview. You're, you're supposed to come in, what's the elevator pitch for Tango? You know, how do you describe your role? How do you develop rapport with the candidates? How much time do you leave for questions? And so all of those elements are, are kind of what come together to like train somebody up on the interviews. And that's actually what I used to do when I was at Uber. I was part of um, a group called Bar Razors. They actually brought that from Amazon uh, into Uber. And the idea was basically had these ambassadors who were uh, focused on scaling the interview processes uh, across the team. 
So you're making it a consistent process that everybody's trained on. So each step of the process, essentially, people know their role, what questions they need to ask, and what needs to be covered in each step of the process. It's not like, hey, Joe, we have Sally coming in in 10 minutes. I know I'm not available. Can you go talk to them? Good luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, ideally, we get to a point where stuff is well documented and people are trained up such that we can do that. But no, it's very it's very focused on each of those core values. Um, and so, you know, each interview has a purpose, has a focus area. Because the thing you want to avoid in the debrief at the very end, right? When everyone's talked to the candidate, everyone's developed a perspective. The thing you don't want to hear is, oh, you know, I asked him this question. And then someone goes, oh, I asked him that question too. You know, because it's like, okay, well, you probably got the same answer. By the way, no high performers go to an interview and go, yeah, four people asked me the same question. They couldn't even organize, get things tight enough for me to be able to say like, you know, I really want to work there. It just seemed like it was just disorganized and yeah. it's just another me too company. Well, and then, and then, and then someone who's, who's really great might say, oh, you know, I, I, I answered that question, you know, before, maybe I'll give a different example. But then when you come into the debrief and people are talking about that, they're like, oh, you got a different example? Like maybe, maybe, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not true or maybe he's not consistent with his answers. And, and then, then you're getting all these like false, false negatives, um, which becomes really tricky. And so we want people to come into the debriefs saying, Hey, here's what I was looking at, you know, and based on this core value, I would say this person either passed or failed the interview. And it's very binary. It's nowhere in between. It's either a hell yes or a no in my book. Yeah. And if you're somewhere in the middle, that's actually, what we try to tell people is like, if you're, you know, we do a thumbs up, thumbs down. If you come to the debrief and you go like this, that's on you as an interviewer because you weren't able to reach a conclusion by the end of that time. That is so true. Yeah. If you did a very bad job in gathering the evidence that you need to support making a yes or no decision. Absolutely. I find it's either these and then also that, well, let's interview some more candidates and see what we get. That comparison mindset means that uh, you didn't do a good enough job having an extracting data out of that person to support a decision, yes or no. Right. You know what? And here's the thing. I think we assume as founders that everybody already knows how to interview. But the truth is that people don't. And what's interesting, I've talked to so many people like, yeah, that's really needed because I'm a hiring manager. I have no clue how to interview. I've never been taught how to interview somebody or had any direction to it. It was just kind of like, hey, go do it. Yeah. I mean, there's even little things too. And it's, um, you know, I think a lot of people misperceive it as like, oh, you know, you, you want to make sure you have interpersonal skills. And it's like, no, it's actually a little bit more than that because you, you care about sequencing. And, you know, just a quick example is, you know, when you talk to candidates, getting them to explain why they're excited about the role such that by the end of the interview, you know, before you've said anything, if you're feeling good about that candidate, you can then move into sell mode. And so there's just... There's just little sequencing things that I think, you know, isn't super intuitive for most people um, that, you know, that's that's why you need training. We're going to share this in the show notes because you've mapped out your whole process, which I think is amazing. And thank you, by the way, for offering this to the audience. Now, let's just quickly go over the phone screen. What's the purpose of the phone screen? Yeah. So the first phone screen is really, you know, does the, you know, does what's on paper kind of match, you know, what what you're seeing in the meeting, right? I think in this day and age, it, it becomes really tricky. People 
reposition themselves, uh, you know, especially when they're job seeking, uh, validating, is that experience actually relevant or does it just look relevant on LinkedIn? And so, you know, that's what we're looking for there. And, and the way we do that is, is a focus on metrics and goals. So that's tied back to our aim high value, which is, you know, set uncomfortably ambitious goals and reject mediocrity. And so we have people talk about their roles, talk about successes that they've had, um, you know, talk about, you know, what, what they were measured against and the, and the impact that they were able to have. And then, you know, on, on some of the more intangible sides, you know, understanding does this, you know, what are the goals that they have in their career? Um, you know, whether they feel that like they're ready to make a jump, you know, for us as an early stage company, a lot of times it's people making a jump. And so, you know, that's a, that's an element of fit that we're testing in that initial phone screen. You're understanding whether or not you have an A, B or C player in, in a way, right? Yep. But also do they align with that one specific goal? So a perfect example, guys, of something that like, hey, we've got, this is your lane. This is what we're covering in this phone screen. And this is what we want you to get out of it. Yep. That's how you set your people up for successful hiring. Totally. Let's talk about your technical screen. We spend a lot of time doing technical screening and sometimes people can have six or seven interviews that are all technical based, which you're beating a horse to death at that point. I think you're beating the horse to death after one. <laughs> you know, if you can't gather whether or not somebody knows what they know and they have the ability to do what you need them to do in one interview, you're wasting everybody's time. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I do. And and this is why we avoid, for the most part, avoid take-home exercises too. Like it's it's a lot to ask of a candidate. Their experience should be able to speak for itself. Obviously, with you know, with certain engineering programming languages, we need to do hands-on technical yeah. screens. Um, but for the most part, to to evaluate whether someone can do the job, it's references and how they articulate their experience and the projects that they've worked on. And so for us, you know, that technical screen um, is really getting into the nitty gritty of a project, um, you know, situational interviews, behavioral, tell me about a time when you had had incomplete information and had to move forward, right? That ties back to our take action value because you're moving past a point of uncertainty and you're actually highlighting an example where you did that. And so, um, those are those are really focused on like one project where someone feels like they've had a ton of impact tends to be you know for our designers maybe that's a portfolio review um you know for our pms maybe that's sort of a, a product challenge where we walk through a hypothetical and they loop in some of their experience but that one is you know one of our data points on whether someone can be competent in the role what we did was we started inviting people in or like, you know, having a big Zoom meeting, a work meeting, essentially, where you're solving an actual problem. Yeah. In a way, what you're doing is you're actually working through a problem with a potential person that might be joining the company that needs to be solved or that actually can kind of help move the company forward in an interview scenario. So we created these working sessions in and around, hey, here's here's some data. Here's a challenge we're having right now let them prepare for it. And then we have this working session to discover how people communicate, how they problem solve, what ideas they bring to the table, and more importantly, how well they work with the rest of the team. And that's been really powerful in 
having people come out of the interview going yes or no. Hey, look, at we, we dealt with this issue. And they don't get as nitpicky on, well, you know, I ask them this random question about something that they should know in college but haven't worked with in, in four or five years, and they didn't know it. Just dealing with technical hires my whole career, I've always had these weird, I asked them a question about an algorithm you would write you know, in your first year computer science class. <laughs> Is that really relevant? No. Taking those hurdles out of the way, I think, have been really valuable. So the next thing is you're getting into the virtual onsite. That's where you're spending a lot more time and you're really drilling down. Give me an example of a question that you ask and how you're evaluating that against an actual value. Sure. So one question I, I love asking, and I've actually written about this on LinkedIn, is um, tell me about a colleague or a manager you admire and what qualities do you try to emulate? And so wrapped up in that question, I'm probably giving away my secrets here, but wrapped up in that question is, do you have a growth mindset? Have you, you know, observed qualities in others that you feel like you want to role model against? Um, and, you know, has someone else had an impact on your career, right? Or have you just been like, solo blinders up, you know, doing this, doing this all by yourself, which nobody has. And so with that one, that touches on mentorship, that touches on collaboration, that touches on growth mindset. And so that ties back to our, our team first value, which is, you know, do you, do you articulate your experiences in terms of the impact a team has had on you or an impact that you've had on your team? Um, another great example, um, that I really like, uh, you know, kind of ties back to our like customer love value. So, uh, you know, this one is, is fairly specific to Tango, but, you know, what does it mean to you to deliver an aha moment to a customer? Um, fairly broad, fairly open-ended, but, you know, I think what you, what you get out of that is, is understanding whether a candidate has interacted with customers, has thought about customer needs and wants. I mean, obviously not everyone's going to interact with a customer, but, um, and whether they've built something that is truly to, you know, deliver a magical experience to an end user. Um, so that ties back to that one. I love how you're tying this back to the values. And when you come to the table and you're actually making the decision, I would imagine that you're actually discussing, hey, this person aligned with this value based on this content that they provided back to me that gave me a really clear example of exactly what they did and how that can translate to our organization. Totally. And, you know, it's it's not in the debrief, it's not intended to be a conversation where we say, okay, did they knock it out of the park on every single value? Um, you know, or, or not even knock it out of the park, but like, did they pass on every value, right? I think if we find candidates who spike on say three or four out of the six, but maybe struggle with one or two, you know, that's, that becomes an interesting conversation, but that doesn't eliminate a candidate. I think one of the risks when you get into that debrief is if everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Cool. And then like, you've got sort of this like lukewarm, but they didn't fail the interview, but since everyone's a yes, you're like, okay, well, let's, let's move forward. Um, you know, I think that's where values like team first, this ability to take on a growth mindset, this ability to you know, embrace learning can kind of 
compensate for areas that they may be a little bit weaker. When you guys are making the decision, what are the requirements for that? For us, like it should be a hell yes, and it should be based on evidence and everybody needs to share their, their why for yes or no. Yeah. What are your rules for the decision-making process? Yeah. So, you know, we start with a thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, and you know, it does not have to be unanimous at the start. Uh, but obviously everyone has their focus areas. Um, but the goal of the discussion. So if we, you know, if we see that people are thumbs down, we usually start with them. They sort of raise their concerns. Um, and then the rest of the team either says, oh, that's a valid concern. Like, you know, that, let's, let's move on. And, or actually, you know, I saw something a little bit different, you know, cause I think the, the reality is, you know, you're never going to get the full picture of a candidate. You're trying, you're trying your hardest. You, you obviously want to do that. But the reality is, is like in an interview process where in, you know, in total, maybe you spend five, six, seven hours with a candidate you're not going to know everything about them, but you're trying to pick up signals and data points. And so by the end of the, by the end of the interview, you know, or sorry, the end of the debrief, we do a revote. And if that revote, you know, has, um, has maintained, like maintained, you know, maybe some people are dissenting, um, you know, then it's a no hire. But if the people that were originally thumbs down say, you know what, actually I'm, I'm comfortable with this candidate based on what I heard, you know, that'll, that'll move us to, you know, unanimous. Yes. Um, so, and there we have a really solid process, right? <laughs> like you've got everything mapped out. I love how you guys have everything mapped out. Can kudos to you. All right. So we're getting pretty close on time. What would be two or three key takeaways you give the audience that can plug into their business today? You know, I know this, this show is focused on hiring, but thinking about how you manifest those core values and processes, even, even beyond hiring as well reinforcing that with your team is just going to make them more equipped to show up to the interview and understand exactly what they're looking for. Um, you know, whether that's performance management, your weekly all hands. Um, and then, you know, I think another big takeaway that I would add, especially for early stage companies, you, you have to remember that you're, that you're simultaneously evaluating a candidate, but you're also selling them on the opportunity. There's so much unproven about what you're doing. Like, you need to kind of embrace that mindset of always be selling. So those would be the two big takeaways that, that I would share. I'm not a religious person, but amen to that. And great job in doing what you're doing, man, to take the time to actually sit down and put this in place. A lot of people don't think it's important, but thank you, Ken, for, for confirming that. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me, Rick. Thanks again for your time. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Rated community. Now, how would the members of the audience find you, find your company? How are you best reached? Yeah, so our company, Tango, uh, e easy to find at tango.us. Um, if people want to reach out to me directly, very easy. I'm, I'm Ken at tango.us. So welcome all, welcome all messages there. Uh, we're, we're hiring a bunch too. So if you're, if you're looking for a new opportunity, uh, you, can go, you can go through that process. <laughs> yeah, well, and your values are right here in the show notes. So if they align with you, I encourage you to reach out, man, because you'll probably thrive at Ken's company. All right, I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all this show's for you. We want to continue to bring great content like today's content from uh, Ken to you each and every week. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickatstridesearch.com. 
Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Karima Gulick. Karima is a patent and trademark attorney with Innovent Law. I'm your host, Rick Girard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Girard. Rick Girard.